Hello and welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. Today we are discussing, we are um, going over a brief history of the family proclamation. And we have slides prepared as as are per usual. And so, yeah. Okay, so brief history on the family proclamation. Um, do you want to read the first one? The family, a proclamation to the world is a 1995 statement issued by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which defined the official position of the church on family, marriage, gender roles, and human sexuality. It was first announced by church president. It was first announced by church president Gordon B. Hinckley during a general relief society meeting. Yeah, so it was published on September 23rd of 1995. So we're not going to read the whole thing in its entirety. Um, if you want it, we'll link it below. Most of you probably will be familiar with it anyway. If not, have it memorized. <laughs> yeah, in, in one of my marriage classes, I minored in marriage and family relations at BYU Idaho, where we were where we were roommates, and I had to memorize it for one of my classes. So, I don't have it memorized still, but you don't. No. Good. Good. It's just garbage. Okay, so women's roles in creating the proclamation. Chico N. Okazaki served as the first counselor to Elaine L. Jack in the Relief Society General Presidency from 1990 to 1997. In an interview with Greg Prince, whom I'm a big fan of, Okazaki made the following statements. Okazaki, when the family proclamation to the world was written, the Relief Society president was asked to come to a meeting. We did, and they read this proclamation. It was all finished. The only question was whether they should present it in the priesthood meeting or at the Relief Society meeting. It didn't matter to me where it was presented. What we wanted to know was, how come we weren't consulted? Mm. Greg Prince then asked, you didn't even know it was in the works? To which Chika Okizaki responded, no, they just asked us which meeting to present it in. And we said, whatever President Hinckley decides, decides is fine with us. He decided to do it in the really exciting meeting. The apostle who was our li liaison said, isn't it wonderful that he made the choice to present it in the Relief Society meeting? Well, that was fine. But as I read through it, I thought that we could have made a few changes in it. Sometimes I think they, the men, get so busy that they forget that we are there. So the women played no part in, in constructing the patri the uh, family proclamation. So Well, surprise, surprise, because it very specifically says in there that they are not to lead, provide, or preside, or protect. <laughs> um, they are just to nurture. So how dare you think that you have any influence on something that will affect the whole world? Yeah. You just need to stay home and take care of the kids. And I have a theory that he was not reading in the, in the Relief Society meeting to give them any kind of is the word heirs to give them any kind of attention or, oh, oh look how honored you, honored you are. I think he was doing it because back then the, the women's, the Relief Society meeting was held um, a month or so before the priesthood, before conference was. And so I think that they just wanted to get this out in the world as quickly as possible so that they could have um, more precedence in this case that we're about to discuss. So, well, and also, um, I don't know if you're going to talk about this later, but um, the, the whole Relief Society's, uh, Oh, yes. Okay. I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay. So um, when you look at what uh, Chiko Okazaki was saying, Chiko Okazaki, she said that they let them know about this two weeks before conference, two weeks before the women's broadcast. So everything was already written. Everything was timed. Everything was all planned out, all the speakers. And the speakers, the talks were on the diversity of the family. So parents with, or kids mm -hmm. with, with one parent, kids who were raised by grandparents, kids who were raised by like just the, all the varieties of families, adoption, things like that. And they said, reconstruct all your talks to fit around the family proclamation. So they had to toss everything out two weeks before conference, and then they had to rewrite and restructure conference and to reflect this. So not only were they not consulted, they, they, he took over the entire conference and they were specifically trying to say, Hey, all sorts of families are good and right in the sight of God. And this 
Family Proclamation says, no, only the specific type. type of nuclear family that we approve is okay. So rewrite all your talks and yeah. make it reflect that. So this is the background of the proclamation. Do you want to read this one? So in February 1981, the first presidency published a nine-page guidebook for church leaders concerning the problem of homosexuality. The guidebook provides information on the church's position on the causes, how to assess needs, and how to counsel homosexual behavior. Yeah, so they're trying to make a stance, or they are making a stance on their opinions of homosexuality in February of 1981. How interesting that the front has like a, it's like a rainbow shape, but it's I, only orange. That's true. I wonder why. I don't know. Huh. Okay. So the forward to this booklet states, homosexuality is of grave concern to the church because one, it violates the Lord's eternal plan for man's progress by perverting the proper use of procreative powers and loving relationships. Two, it deprives God's children of the happiness and fulfillment possible only in family life. Three, it debases and demeans those involved. Hmm. Four, it is as it is as sinful as heterosexual adultery and fornication. Five, it may involve violent and criminal behavior. Ew. That's disgusting. Like, why would you, why would say, you say that? that? What makes you think that? It. Uh, hold on. For, first of all, okay, I, I do appreciate that they said it's as sinful as heterosexual adultery and fornication. At least it's not being compared to uh, pedophilia and okay, bestiality. But, but look at number five because it but kind of is. Up. But, okay, so next, my next point is that heterosexual relationships may also involve violent and criminal behavior. In fact, way more often. So, like, you're putting you're putting blame on homosexuals, something that is actually a heterosexual behavior, statistically speaking. But in the past, the church has, like you were saying, has put on the same line, homosexuality, bestiality, and pedophilia. And I'm pretty sure that's mainly what number five can be referring to. Well, and it has been considered criminal to be homosexual in the past. So, right. Anyway. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to talk about more of this. In August of 1984, Dallin H. Oaks wrote a 21-page memo entitled Principle to Govern Possible Public Statement on Legislation Affecting Rights of Homosexuals. It needs a snappier title. <laughs> it's too long. In the memo, Oaks repeats President Kimball's theory that homosexuality can be cured and that we do not consider the evil thinker to be as guilty of as grave a sin as the evil doer. I know I was still, I still believed that even... Or you can be gay, when but you can't member. act upon being gay. Yeah, being gay is okay. Like you just can't act on it. Um, but that's anyway. Um, what they, the homosexuals, really seem to crave is public approval of their practices. What? How strange! They want the right to proselyte their lifestyle. No, that's not no, true. No, no, no. We just want the right to... To be ourselves. Yeah. And to practice it in public without penalty or public disapproval. Yes. Well, I yeah, would like okay. to walk around and hold hands with my girlfriend without getting stoned in the streets. Thank you. Yeah. The entire memo seeks to point out a basis to approve discrimination in these areas against persons with the homosexual condition. <sighs> areas such as employment, housing, etc. Okay. So homosexual condition is... So that they awful. want to be able to discriminate against gay people yeah um so one thing i also wanted to point out is he says that he thinks that homosexuality can be cured so one thing that they that they specifically did at byu is they had conversion therapy in which case in which they would attach um electronics oh, to the oh, arm like in a, uh, a band that would electroshock you and then it would be attached to the penis and then when the penis became erect it would shock your arm 
and and there's a different case there's different versions of this there was another one where they would they would make them vomit um aversion therapy mm. or when viewing gay porn this is all gay porn so in viewing gay porn they would cause them to throw up when they got an erection it was it's just really awful and they were practicing this at byu and the bishops around were sending gay gay students there to get help to be cured and this was happening in oaks i think in one of the talks i don't have slides for this one because it's not super important to this the history but um maybe it is um, but Elks was lying, has been caught lying, saying that he had no knowledge of this, when and which we know that he did, and he was president of BYU. President at the time. of BYU at the right. time, yeah. Um, if you read there, there's I'm pretty sure in the interviews done by um, Carolyn Pearson, she says that she met with people whose arms were they look like she she described them as hamburger meat because they'd been shocked so much because they would go voluntarily most of the time. They would go to be shocked to cure themselves of homosexuality. Never worked. Homosexuality is not a thing to be cured. It's not a thing. It's not a thing that's wrong. Um, anyway, I just it's like trying to cure yourself of blue eyes. Exactly. It's just not. It's not a thing that needs. That's wrong with you. So on September third of nineteen ninety one in Honolulu, Hawaii, a local court hearing was held for the state's first case of same sex marriage, and this is called Bear versus Lewin, and that's this is basically the beginning of the family proclamation. All right, Bear versus Lewin. Let's do it. <laughs> so, in November fourteenth, September twenty-first. So, just a couple months later. So, a couple months later, November fourteenth, nineteen ninety-one, the first presidency released a letter addressing homosexuality titled "Standards of Morality and Fidelity." One part of the letter reads: "The Lord's law of moral conduct is abstinence outside of lawful marriage and fidelity within marriage. Sexual relations are proper only between husband and wife, appropriately expressed within the bonds of marriage." Any other sexual contact, including fornication, adultery, and homosexual and lesbian behavior is sinful. Those who persist in such practices or who influence others to do so are subject to church discipline. Yeah, so they're, they're making their stand. We are 100% against gay marriage. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then in 1992, the first presidency updates the booklet called Understanding and Helping Those Who Have, a homosexual, who have homosexual Problems. While the book states that no general agreement exists about the cause of such problems, they give several possible theories. Um, one of them is perceived problems with the parent or some other older person or old person. Um, so old like people. probably the older person is what they meant. Right. Um, viewing inappropriate images or scenes. So like, oh, if you watch gay porn, you'll become gay. And then self-pleasure. The church was of the mindset that if you masturbated, you would become gay, which um, I think there would be far more homosexuals in the world if that were indeed true. Yeah, way more. <laughs> the booklet outlines that homosexual feelings can be overcome through repentance, reliance on the Savior, and self-mastery, which is, like we discussed, incorrect. These and people not are possible. It's totally not possible. These people were were trying to repent. These people were relying on the Savior, and they were trying to um, self-mastery. They were getting themselves shocked, and it wasn't working. Nothing was helping. I think the people who believed that this was true were probably bisexual. And they're like, oh, yeah, I totally have feelings for men. But also, I'm married happily to my wife. Okay, great. So you're bisexual. That's it. I think I feel like a lot of this is off topic, but I feel like a lot of bisexuals in the church have a harder time. Like, for example, you, mm -hmm. um, she, my girlfriend identifies as bisexual. And when she expressed Against this my to, will, <laughs> when she expressed that to one of her family members who was very much in the church. He was like, well, then just leave your girlfriend and go and date a guy. With a man and, like, and you'll be happier. I feel like that's harder. Like, that's not how this works. You you have feelings for somebody. And anyway. And I'm in a committed relationship. I'm not just going to dump something that's beautiful and happy and the love of my life 
to go be with some imaginary man so that I can be in a church yeah. that doesn't like me or the choices I've made. Right. Yeah. Also, I don't believe it's true. <laughs> All right. Anyway, May 5th, 1993, the Hawaii Supreme Court ruled that the state's refusal to issue marriage licenses constitutes sex discrimination under Hawaii law. As such, the discrimination may only be practiced if the state can demonstrate a compelling public interest in denying marriage to same-sex couples. The Supreme Court returns the case to the circuit court to issue a new decision based on whether such a compelling interest exists. So they're like, hey, we're open to you telling us why this can't be a thing, but if you guys, if there's no compelling public interest, then... We'll just let it happen. Yeah. That's what I'm getting from that anyway. Yeah. Um, so February 1st of 1994, so a year later, less than a year later, the first presidency issued another letter, which in part reads, the principles of the gospel and the sacred responsibilities given us require that the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints oppose any efforts to give legal authorization to marriages between persons of the same gender. Marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God to fulfill the eternal destiny of his children. The union of husband and wife assures perpetual perpetuation of the race and provides a divinely ordained setting. Oh my gosh, that makes me mad. <laughs> For the nurturing and teaching of, ch of children, this sacred family setting with father and mother and children firmly committed to each other and to righteous living offers the best hope, again, ew, for avoiding many of the ills that afflict society. This is all 100% wrong and we'll get to this later. Like they're saying that you can only, you have a husband and wife, children. That's the only way to have a healthy family. It's divinely ordained setting. They have to be committed to each other because like, I guess homosexual couples aren't committed to each other or their children. Or, well, di divorced parents, does that not count for them? Like if they're divorced and working together, is this not a possibility? And they're both still in the church, I mean, or what do you mean? Yeah, like, well, yeah, sure, I don't know. Uh, or like if you're with your grandparents who are members of the church or you're living with your uncle because your parents are dead. Like, do these not work? Are you gonna end up, um, of having many of the ills that afflict society. Yeah, like, uh, anyway. Okay. So a year later, the church announced it had filed a petition to intervene in the Bear case in order to protect freedom of religion, to solemnize marriages between a man and a woman under Hawaiian law. Like, because who was going to take that away from you? I'd never at any point have has... Has the no Church one. of Jesus Christ Saturday Saints been forced no to perform one. marriages they didn't want to perform? It's like the supposed war on Christmas. Like, nobody is trying to stop you, dude. Like, it's, it's, it's not a pie. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's taking your piece of the pie. Right. We cannot, there's enough for everybody. Yeah. Right. With support of the church's leadership in Salt Lake City, the three representatives on, on that Wednesday filed a notice of appeal asking the Hawaii Supreme Court to allow them to become a party to a lawsuit that was filed against the state by three homosexual couples. The three couples sued the state for denying them marriage licenses. So the church is trying to butt in um, to this case that yeah. was between the three homosexual couples and the state of Hawaii. So then they so like, yeah. so, mm -mm, I would like to speak now. <laughs> yeah, so three homosexual couples in Hawaii and then Salt Lake sends three representatives to go and combat this. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, no, say, like, you sit there and tell them no, mm -hmm. like, that they can't do this. So then March of 1995, so a month later, the Circuit Court of Hawaii rejects the church's petition to become a party to the Bear case. The judge ruled that the request was without merit since nothing in the licensing law requires a minister to perform any marriages on behalf of the state. Rather, it merely permits them to do so when it is in harmony with their religious practices and beliefs. Dude, we're not trying to change your religious beliefs. Just do it mm -hmm. if you want to. Don't do it like, if you don't want to. You're actually an add-on benefit. This is actually a legal thing, not a religious thing. Yeah. 
According to the judge, the church failed in its petition to demonstrate that its arguments against same-sex marriage were ones that had not, had not already been raised by the state. So they're like, it's not good enough. Go away. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Seven months later, President Gordon B. Hinckley reads the proclamation on the family at the General Relief Society broadcast. Yeah. Seven months later. And then the aftermath of the proclamation. So once, once this is all out and read... Um, the church re the church re-entered the Hawaii case and included the document as an appendix to the Amicus Curie brief filed by the church in 19 in April 1997. By December of 1999, the case for Bear versus Lewin was dismissed, and Hawaii rejected same-sex marriage. So it worked. So they're like, hey, we've got enough of a case. Um, we can't, this cannot be a thing. You cannot pass same-sex marriage. I want to know how to pronounce that word because we've said it in like three different ways. Oh, Amicus Curiae. America's right, it's Amicus Curiae. Is it Latin? Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry. I'm not a lawyer. Um, so anyway, so it worked. Um, they rejected same-sex marriage, but then December 2nd of 2013, Hawaii passed the Hawaii Marriage Equality Act that finally legalized same-sex marriage. But it took 14 years. Yeah. Thanks to... No, well, go back to the beginning when, when the Bear versus Lincoln well, no, I mean, between then, 1999 to Or when it was dismissed, yeah. But, but if you think about these three couples who were trying to get it... Hang on, I'm... Okay, wait, wait, 1991 to 2013. So that's 20 years, almost 22 years. Yeah, so, so that's a long time to be fighting for your marriage. Oh, they could have had a 22-year marriage anniversary Obviously, by the time they were finally married. This is off topic, but there's a picture that that's in one of these, sort of like this one where their picture is, this would be our 31st anniversary if this state allowed same-sex marriage. That's sad. Okay, so happily, June 26, 2015, same-sex marriage is made legal na nationwide in the Obergefell versus Hodges case. So it happened um, all across the country. Same-sex marriage is now legalized. So the church, um, in a way, sort of failed. Failed in the long term. In the long term. There, there's no way that the church's stance could ever survive. It, the, the church takes, the church is on the wrong side of history is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So there's this one thing that I want to talk about is during this, I think it was specifically the Obergefell versus Hodges case. There is this man named Frank Lowe and he played part. He wrote this book called Raised by Unicorns. It's an amazing book. It's, it's really so good. good. It's about these kids raised by, by lesbian and gay parents. Like it's just, they're telling their stories like, Hey, we're very normal people in society. There's nothing wrong with having gay parents. The worst thing that, that we were experienced was the discrimination that people had against our parents. So it's like mm -hmm. people being, being mad at them in the streets, people hurting them, people like just just the way society was treating them. There was nothing inherently wrong about how their parents were parents. Anyway, but Frank Lowe, what he did is he gathered up a bunch of people and they wrote uh, another amicus brief, amicus yeah. brief, <laughs> in which they said, hey, there's nothing wrong with with having gay parents. There's nothing wrong with them raising children. They're they're great in society. Anyway, so in a way, the, this this brief, pushed for the legalization of same-sex marriage because they're like, oh, there's literally nothing wrong with this. It's totally fine. Let's let it go pass through. And then I don't know if this is, I don't know if there's a connection here. To me, it sort of feels like there is or could have just been the timeline of everything. But um, do you want to read this one? For the children. Five months later in November, 2015, the church released a new policy. Children of same-sex couples will not be able to join the Mormon church until they turn 18, and only if they move out of their parents' home, disavow all same-sex relationships, and receive approval from the church's top leadership as part of a new policy adopted by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
So like they're, they're saying it's for the children, like, oh, we're doing this because we love them. And, and in this interview with um, Christopherson, he talks about that more. Um, it's like it sounds like backlash against the children. Yeah, it does. It sounds like the children got this approved. It sounds to me kind of like that they're punishing the children. Also, like people have argued like, oh, it's it's a good thing. They're trying to do this to help the children. But in what way? How does they have to disavow? Anybody? They have to disavow their parents and they, they can't receive saving ordinances until they're 18. Like that's nothing in this says this is good for the children. Like um, another thing is that um, it was President Monson that got this pushed through. And he, to my knowledge, this did not get the approval of the brethren. He just sort of made it get approved. So I, so a lot of them, I think, were were surprised. I think Christofferson was one of the ones who said, like, I was surprised that this became a policy. And so, like, it was really rushed. People left because of this. A lot of people, they were really upset and for good reason. Like, yes. why are you punishing the children of the people who were making this decision? Children are the, like, there's a huge focus of the church is making sure the children are well taken care of. And yet you're going to just be like, you know what? If you have gay parents, don't come in here. Exactly. It's awful. And like somebody pointed out also that like, they don't have this rule for if your parents are, have been arrested, you can still participate in church just fine. They don't have anything. Like if your parents are, are pedophiles, murderers or anything like that, it's just like, they don't have those kind of restrictions. If, but if your parents are gay, you can't, you can't join the church. This policy does it, or it did exist. I don't know if it still does for, for polygamous families. There was, I served my mission in Utah and there was one woman who came from a polygamous sect um, and she was getting discussions from the mainstream church. And we had to go through certain steps to have her be like, she had to like disavow. She had to do all these things. Of course she was older. She wasn't 18, but anyway, so there's certain hoops that they had to jump through too. So again, kind of weird, but also I wanted to say there's a book that I read. I think it's Listen, Love, and Learn by by Osler. It might have been Voices of Hope. But anyway, one of the parents said when this came out, um, they said they prayed and they they have a gay child and they prayed and they said, God, is this a is this you? Is this your will? Because this does not feel like you at all. And they felt their response that no, this isn't from him and he just needed to wait. And like that was super interesting to me at the time I was a believing member. But I was like, how can this person who has a gay child know more than the prophet or feel mm. more than the prophet? Like it was just stunning to me, but Anyway. And, that, and that didn't shake your faith? Um, no, well, I mean, eventually it did. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So back to the family proclamation. We're no longer talking about the for the children yeah. thing. So talking about the family proclamation, when Hinckley announced the proclamation, he said it was a declaration and reaffirmation of standards, doctrines, and practices relative to the family, which the prophets, seers, and revelators of the church have repeatedly stated throughout its history. Yeah, so he's saying it's a de it's a declaration, a reaffirmation of standards and doctrines and practices, and we have repeatedly stated all the things that are in the family proclamation. Yeah, definitely, definitely, sure, for sure. Okay, so the next slides are us going over how this is totally not true. Not true at all. <laughs> so, so uh, for gender, in the family proclamation, it reads: all human beings, male, male and, female, and female, are created in the image of God. Gender is an essential characteristic of individual, pre-mortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose. So you, you've always been female. You always will be female. And it's super important that you're female or if you're a man, you know, it is important thing. if you're female, because if you got to have babies for eternity, you got to, you got to keep doing that. Can't change your mind halfway through. <laughs> be like, actually, mm, I'm tired of this grandpa. <laughs> That's too damn bad. Oh, 
Okay, continuing on. <laughs> Name that movie. <laughs> Premortal Gender. So in the 1965 General Conference Address, William J. Critchlow of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles said that he saw a conscious choice to be male or female. So in other words, we choose our gender. It isn't eternal. Yeah, so he, he was of the opinion that we chose. In 1967, BYU professor Hiram Anders stated, Nowhere in scripture or in any authoritative source is the central primal life of man said to be an intelligence that existed as a living entity in the form and stature of man. So he's like, nowhere in scripture does it say, uh, it's not in scriptures that we were intelligences in the form of men or women before the world began. Gender is eternal. So like, it's not anywhere. So the the church saying this is, the, the primal proclamation is a reaffirmation of doctrines is not true. Not according to, what was his name? Hiram Andrus. Hiram Andrus is not according to Hiram Andrus, this very intelligent looking man over here. And these are all, these are all church. These are all, what do I General conferences? Yeah. Or people or who BYU are. BYU professors. Yeah. There's, these are not anti-Mormons. These are people just studying the church history. All right. So for premortal gender, in 1972, BYU professor Rodney Turner stated, the principles of agency must have played a part in anything God did. The arbitrary assignment of sex would have rendered him particularly vulnerable to criticism. In other words, God let us choose our gender. Interesting. Yeah. Because he would have been criticized by who? I, I don't know. Um, so the prophet Gordon Hinckley himself addressed, added to these teachings when he said in 1983, I know of no doctrine which states that we made a choice when we came to the earth as to whether we wish to be male or female. That choice was made by our father in heaven in his infinite wisdom. In other words, heavenly father chose our gender. Therefore, it isn't eternal. I guess you could argue that like, because he made the choice, then it's, then it becomes eternal. Like it's never ending, but it did start somewhere. But like, that still doesn't mean that premortal, that means also that premortal gender is not a thing. Right. Cause he says made a choice when we came to the earth. So that means it wasn't in the premortal life. It was when we came to the earth. True. So, so anyway, premortal gender is not a thing in Mormon doctrine. Um, so my question then is if gender is a choice of the individual spirit or even of God, does that mean it is essential and eternal? No. I think it is essential to the doctrine. Oh, it is for sure, yeah. Because if you don't have specifically designated... You have to have the height, the patriarchy, and the patriarchy means you need men and women, and you have to have women to make babies the whole time, and you have to have men to rule over the women and to rule over their children. So yes, and it's an essential part of Mormon theology, but it's not... Eternal, essential. and it's not essential for the rest of us who aren't planning on living in that... Like, if we're all going to live, like those of us who are not... I'm going to make it to the celestial kingdom because we've accepted this. We have. Um, if we're in the seat, turtle, turtle, would we be in the tur or the toll? Oh, I don't know. I don't Depends know. on how we are. Anyway, if we're in either of those kingdoms, we're just going to not have genitals anyway. So I don't need to decide whether I'm a male or female. I'm just going to make it up as I go along. So there. Man, she means with sea turtle, she means celestial, terrestrial, terrestrial and telestial. The Mormonism believes in three kingdoms. And so sorry if that was. <laughs> We can get into more of that later. Um, okay, so now we're talking about post-mortal gender. Prophet Joseph Fielding Smith taught, I take it that men and women will in these kingdoms, terrestrial and celestial, be just what the so-called Christian world expects us all to be, neither man nor woman, merely immortal beings having received the resurrection. As I said. In other words, gender is, gender is not eternal. And this is where the teaching of the TK smoothie comes, comes in. So TK meaning um, terrestrial, terrestrial kingdom, kingdom or celestial kingdom. Um, they... Uh, the smoothie part is like you'll be like Barbie and Ken, where just you smooth down there, smooth everywhere. Does that mean you have no hair either? 
this is inappropriate. So. Not a hair of your head will be lost in the resurrection. I don't understand. Oh. So like, but also if you talk about the resurrection in Mormonism, in Mormon scripture, it says that not a hair of your head will be lost. Like everything will be restored to its proper, proper and perfect frame. But that means that that, that doctrine is not a thing. That's only a doctrine for that's only applicable for the celestialized people. people. But that means that um, there's a partial resurrection, I guess, or a selective resurrection where it's like, we, also, I will be resurrected, but I won't have um, secondary sex organs or primary sex organs, right? I won't have breasts or... You won't have breasts either? I have no idea. Does that men won't, mean men won't have Adam's apples? Because that's a secondary sex organ. Um, anyway, I, yeah, it just means... Everyone else will not receive a full resurrection. Which is, first of all, silly that God is like, you know what? You guys weren't good enough. You don't get to have your genitals. And second of all, like, okay, so if we don't get to have our genitals in the eternity, like the majority of mankind doesn't get to have their genitals, then why are we so concerned about whether or not they're male or female? Yeah, that's true. Okay, and there's another one that's quoted by President Joseph Fielding Smith. Is not the sectarian world justified in their doctrine generally proclaimed that after the resurrection there will be neither male nor female sex? It is a logical conclusion for them to reach and is apparently in full harmony with what the Lord has revealed regarding the kingdoms into which evidently the vast majority of... <laughs> did I quote him? I yeah, you did. Which evidently the vast majority of mankind is likely to go. In other words, gender is yeah. not eternal. So the majority of human humanity will not be fully resurrected. They won't be male or female. So it's not eternal. He's telling us it's not eternal. Um, Do you know what, though? I would rather have a TK smoothie than give birth for eternity. So yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I also feel like there's, like, I feel bad for the men, too, because they, like, I, I don't know how people handle. Um, I'm not trying to dog on people who are in polyamorous relationships. I just feel like that'd be a lot to, to take care of. And I, maybe this is different because no one's experienced this, but, like, one person, one, in Mormon theology, one man has thousands of wives or hundreds of wives who knows how many in eternal well the more wives the better because then yeah. maybe a couple of the wives will get a break every once in a while i just feel like that'd be really really hard to handle well it wouldn't matter because you'd all be perfect and you'd never complain ever ew okay how can gender be eternal if it ends past the resurrection for the vast majority of mankind yeah that's that was my question yeah that's exact you wrote it down mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, so another thing that I want to talk about is is this um, intersex. It's intersex. So 1.7% of the population is intersex, roughly the same amount as there are redheads in the world. And I've been in a relationship with two redheads in my life. So that's a lot. So like that's, yeah, I mean, like you probably know an intersex person. As of 2022, world population was projected to exceed 8 billion. So that's a lot of intersex individuals. So can you explain what intersex is? Okay, so... <laughs> So in biology, a lot of times we think there's male and female, but actually when you're uh, first created in the womb, your body is, the, the fetus is actually starts out as female. And then as it's growing in the uterus, um, different hormones are given to it, uh, to the fetus, and it becomes either uh, male or female. But sometimes in that process, sometimes the hormones come in differently and sometimes they develop breasts, but not um, a vagina. Instead, it develops a penis or sometimes it develops gonads and a uterus at the same time. So what happens is you can be both like have both male and female sex parts. So that's why it's called intersex is you can be partially male and partially female. So you're just intersex. Yeah. So you have like you have those pie chart, you have the men and you have the you have the males and the females and then they overlap and everyone and this is not I'm not judging on if you identify as non-binary. That's totally fine. 
but like, but biologically speaking, I guess you have the overlap and that's where the intersex individuals come from. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole, like you said, a whole variety of them. Um, there's a woman on who gave a Ted talk that she had. It's really good. Talk. Really, really good. It's like 15 minutes. So good. I'll, I can link it below. Um, but, um, she had, I she, think she, if I remember correctly, she said she had gonads inside of her body. And then when they discovered this, they were like, Oh, we need to remove them. And she's like, why is there something wrong? Like is something malfunctioning and like nothing was malfunctioning. So she's yeah, like, no, just, don't remove them. Cause there's no point in removing a part of her body that's that's not doing Yeah, she made a wrong. point that sometimes doctors will see this in a child or in a human and say, oh, this needs to be, I need to fix this. You need to be male or female. You and they will you choose the gender and, of the baby. Yeah, and sometimes they won't inform the parents. Like, there's a lot of history with this too. But um, but there's, you, typically speaking, there is nothing physically wrong with the person who is intersex. That's just how their body functions. Like, like I've heard a story of a man who has a penis and a vagina at the same time. And he didn't know it until he was an, an adult, his adult, until he was an adult. Like there's nothing wrong with these people. Well, sometimes there can be well, like, okay, complications, yeah. but, but generally, speaking, generally speaking, yeah. I also want to point out that there's a book called come as you are by Emily Nagoski. She's a sex therapist. Love this. And book. she talks about how similar, how so very similar female sex organs are to male sex organs. They're literally the same things, just organized Arranged a little differently. So like yeah. if you think about, this might be too much detail for a podcast, but if you think about the, is it the scrotum? Yeah, the seam. There's a seam in the scrotum where if it was female, it would have separated into ovaries. Like they're the, the same thing, but while they were in the womb, it chose, it didn't choose but it became one thing or the other, but they started out as the yeah. same thing. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. Please go read her book. She, she gives a lot of the, the background to this. And it's diagrams and stuff. Nothing scary. We actually gave it as wedding gifts to our very Mormon um, newlywed yeah. sisters. It's really, really good. So, so helpful. And she's given, she's given a lot of talks too. So if you look up Emily Nagoski on YouTube, she, she's fantastic. Okay, so going back to this, um, how are we creating the image of God if over one million of his children are born a combination of both genders? So that's, I hate when people say there's only two genders because like that's, that's, that's very ignorant of bi science. Biology, that's not biology. Yeah. Just, it just isn't. Additionally, if God is male, how are women created in God's image or anyone, um, like even non-binary? Like how, how are we created in God's image? If God isn't only male, where is Heavenly Mother? Like Heavenly Mother makes a, made a brief, has a very tiny role in mormon theology yeah and i hate her role yeah and like she's kind of talked about in mormon history we can do an episode on her too but like anyway our intersex individuals are also created in god's image okay marriage marriage is what brings us together today that's a great novel if you haven't read it go read it <laughs> so funny I, I still hold that it's the funniest book ever written but uh, well that's that's fair anyway in the family proclamation, it reads, we further declare that God has commanded that the sacred powers of procreation are to be employed only between man and woman, lawfully wedded as husband and wife. So lawfully being the key word here, right? Yep. Okay, so that's not a thing that has always been, it's not a reaffirmation of doctrines or practices. No. Shortly after the church was founded, Joseph Smith commanded the members to live the law of polygamy, which required men and women to marry outside the law. Joseph Smith had over 30 wives to which he was not legally or lawfully wed. So at least not the law of the land. Right. Well, that's what they're trying to push, though. That's what the family proclamation is about. Yeah. Lawfully the, and wedded. that's why they tried to change the law 
that they were or like influence the law that was being created in Hawaii because they want the law to yeah. reflect what it is that they're doing. But that's not what was always the case. They yeah. did Joseph Smith whatever did whatever he wanted. In fact, he considered himself to be the law. He said that any wedding or any marriage that was that happened outside of the church. Yeah, that was that happened outside of his under authority. His church, yeah. yeah. So any marriage that happened outside of his authority was just illegal. So every marriage everywhere was illegal. Unless yeah. he married them. So he just like made everybody's marriages invalid so that he could do whatever he wanted. Yeah. And maybe this plays a part in this next sentence. In fact, at least 11 of those women were already legally married to other men. See Zina Huntington Jacobs, Miranda Johnson Hyde, Elizabeth Davis Durfee, Mary Elizabeth Leitner, and at least seven others. So like he, I'm sure him saying like, oh, because you guys were married legally in this state, that's, but not under God's law. That's not, that's not a thing. That's invalid. So, so you can marry me. Mm -hmm. Um, Despite this fact, however, same-sex marriage was legalized throughout the United States in 2015. So the church has, so it's it's false that the church is saying we've, we've always believed in lawful marriages. No, they have not. But and then, also, it's now legal to be right. married so same-sex So we marriage. are not yet, but we plan on getting married legally. And so there'd be nothing wrong in that. Yeah, but, so if we were married legally, then what's the problem, yeah. church? Okay. okay. So now, then, this is really interesting. Yeah, so they changed the temple wording. This is the one side is the old temple ceremony and then the temple updates. So Elohim says, give unto the give unto them the law of chastity and put them under covenant to obey this law, which is that the daughters of Eve and the sons of Adam shall have no sexual relations except with their husbands or wives to whom they are le legally and lawfully wedded. So they changed it to say, give unto them the law of chastity and put them under the covenant to obey this law, which is that the women of my kingdom, instead of daughters of Eve, and the men of my kingdom, instead of the sons of Adam, shall have no sexual relations except with those whom they are legally and lawfully wedded according to my law, instead of yeah, so they're So they're making this like a like they're zooming in and being like, oh, it doesn't matter if you guys are legally married, you guys are totally committed to each other. You have It has to be under God's law. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of like what Joseph's saying. He's like, mm -hmm. oh, your guys' marriage is invalid because it wasn't under God. So, which again, why were they arguing in Hawaii if, if their practices aren't being threatened by same-sex marriage being legalized? Because right? it wasn't and it isn't and yeah. everything's fine. You guys need to calm down. <laughs> okay, so this is just another update. This is Peter talking. He says the same wording, legally and lawfully wedded. And then the update changed his word to a legally and lawfully wedded according to his law. Uh, also, again, why are we changing the temple? Like, yeah, I thought it, that was. I thought it came from God, and also the temple has gone through so many changes, significant changes. And... There used to be a lot more characters, and there used to be a lot more crawling around on your bellies. So, and um... picking fruit off of trees. They had little raisins tied to the trees, and and um... it sounds like a lot more fun. And people, I'm not gonna lie. and everyone acted like Adam and Eve. Normally, they have like two uh, persons representing them that just no. go and kind of stand there. But before, everyone acted like Adam and Eve. And, and they hid and they, and they like ran, ran away. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. Um, yeah, gone through lots of changes. <laughs> Can married same gender couples to be just as committed to each other and to their children as heterosexual married couples? Because hmm. that's one of the things they were arguing is that, oh, ch children need to be in like. Well, I tell you what, it would be nice if um, they could get married and then would be legally bound to each other in order to, you know, facilitate commitment to each other yeah same sex allowing same sex couples to get married can only help society like there's no there's anyway nothing. that's already done and passed and we got it but make sure you vote in your election so that right doesn't get taken away 
Yes. Watch our ERA podcast. Yes. Okay. Is it parenthood? If the problem lies in the parenting abilities of same-gender couples, studies show and are continuing to show that LGBTQ parents are just as healthy, if not healthier, than heterosexual parents. Wait, no, no, no. Boom. <laughs> okay, so these next slides are going over some of these studies that are very important in combating this idea that, that homosexual couples can't raise kids. So the Center for Surrogate Parenting in 2008 published LGBT parents are an asset for their school communities. They were also more likely to be involved and engaged in their children's day-to-day -day educational life. What do you know? So an asset to the community, more and likely to be involved and engaged in their children's day-to-day -day educational life. So more present parents. In the American Psychological Association in 2012, they conducted another study that said lesbian and gay parents are as likely as heterosexual parents to provide supportive and healthy environments for their children. So they're saying it's the same, just as good. Just as good. Do you know what makes a difference into whether you can make a, a healthy and supportive environment for your child? Whether or not you yourself are able to be healthy and mentally True. supported by your community. But if you're your suppressing yourself down and, and you're denying your yourself family, key part of who you are, that, that will affect and you. And lying about who you love and what you want to do with your life. If you have to lie about all of that stuff and you spend all of your time being fake and having a facade, maybe that wouldn't be so healthy. I don't know. And like seeing your parents lying about who they are, maybe that wouldn't be very healthy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So another study was published in the same year by Live Science in 2012. It says gay parents tend to be more motivated, more committed than heterosexual parents on average because they chose to be parents. That translates to greater commitment on average and more involvement. So like, um, my parents just had kids willy-nilly. Just, yeah, just, just a over, over, bunch over. of kids. We were like barely a year apart. Like my brother, my older brother, we have the exact same birthday. My mom just didn't stop. Anyway, um, uh, for for a couple like us, we have to make this choice. We have to go out of our way to make the choice to have this child. We, it's very well thought out. Right. And we we're planning on it. We we're like saving up money. Or like typically this is how couples do it. So they're more committed because they're like, we've been planning on having this. We've been planning on having this happen for years. Whereas... Mm -hmm. Whereas heterosexual couples, not saying everybody, because I'm sure that there are a lot of people who who plan on having children. It's like one in five people who struggle to get pregnant. Yeah. I, when I say preg people, I mean women, but um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so more committed, more motivated. The Washington Post in 2014 uh, published a study that, that found that children of same-sex couples fare better when it comes to physical health and social well-being than children in the general population, according to researchers at the University of Melbourne in Australia. So they fare better physically and socially. And I feel like the socially part is when you're, when you come out as gay and you accept yourself for what you are, you have to kind of stick up for yourself. And you're more, in my opinion, in my experience, you're more able to unconditionally love and accept other people, like people of, of color, like women, like just a bunch of different, like everyone. You're just, I, in my experience, you are less um, ignorant. Um, you're more self-aware. Um, yeah, you, and when you raise your children that way, they become, they can, they fare better in their social well-being. Yes, because you can recognize in your child that they are not this perfect um, copy of whatever it is that you want them to be. They aren't going to grow up to be exactly what you tell them to be. They're, mm -hmm. They are their own person, as you know yourself is, because yourself cannot be what other people are expecting you to be. So your child also cannot be. And so you, like, take care of them and help them bloom as 
themselves for who they are as a person rather than trying to expect them to do or be something that is impossible. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that they fare better with physical health. Like that is I, interesting. Like yeah. I won't, I don't know. I wonder about them. But, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. I'm sure there's lots of factors. Yeah. Okay. So the American Soci Sociological Review in 2020 this study showed that the results indicate that children raised by same-sex parents from birth perform better than children raised by different-sex parents in both primary and secondary education. So this study is saying that they fare better. They perform better. Better. Boom. <laughs> Frontiers in Psychology, um, published in 2021, showed that lesbian mothers were just as likely to have good mental health and positive relationships with their children as were heterosexual mothers, and that their children were no more likely to show emotional and behavioral difficulties, poor performance at school, or atypical gender roles behavior than were children with heterosexual parents. And we talked about this in the ERA podcast, and um, one of the things that we talked about is, like, they think that we have a gay agenda, which, like, I have an agenda book, and it is gay because I own it. But like, we're not trying to make all the kids gay. That they just are or they are not. And like seeing your parents be gay just means that you can look into yourself and say, is that me or is that not me? And if it is you, you can accept it. And if it's not you, that's also fine. Mm -hmm. That's the only difference. Yeah. Yeah. So just as likely to have good mental health as everyone else. And no more likely to show emotional behavioral difficulties or poor performance at school or atypical gender roles, like you were saying. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, also, like, so gay parents are not perfect. Nobody's saying that. Um, but they are just as unperfect or just as likely to have issues in their relationships and their mental health as heterosexual people. Mm. Like, they're just parents. They're just parents. And yeah. them being gay does not is not the, the problem unless the society ostracizes them and makes them illegal and they have to hide themselves and that, that, that or makes that, it that. dangerous to have gay parents. Like, yes. the, like Frank Lowe's booklet describes all those experiences with these children. That is the problem, not yeah. inherently being gay. Yeah. If same gender parents are just as healthy or healthier than heterosexual parents, how can this be bad? It can't. That's one thing I like is from the Book of Mormon, from the Mormon scripture, it says, there's a verse in there that says, all things which are good cometh of God. And so if this is, if that's true, and having gay parents is a good thing, just as having heterosexual parents can be a good thing, then it's of God, right? By your fruits, ye shall know them. Mm -hmm. And we got, we're fruits. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> we're fruity. <laughs> okay, so my next question is, if it's not parenting, because we've already established that, that you can have, you can raise great children and you can be great parents if you're gay. Is it gender roles then? Like, a, like is that the reason, is that the that reason they why they don't want gay marriage? Right. So gender roles in the proclamation. So they specify, as we all know, that by divine design, fathers are to preside over their families in love and righteousness and are responsible to provide the necessities of life and protection for their families. And wives and mothers are primarily responsible for the nurture of their children. So the men preside, provide, and protect, and women's only job is to nurture. So her whole function has to do with just her children. That's it. Well, no, you can also nurture your husband. Okay, no, yeah, you're right. They would argue that too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they would. But take men, care of they should provide, preside, and protect. You don't need to do any nurturing. You yeah. don't need to emotionally connect with anybody or yeah. cry. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Okay, so one thing I do like 
is Elder Soares in, in his October 2022 talk, so just this last year, he said, he spoke on the roles of women, men and women in the family. He talked about having an equal partnership and the interchanging roles of nurturing, providing for, and protecting their family. He says, nurturing and presiding are opportunities, not exclusive limitations. So I love that. And he seems to be, to me, he's saying that the gender roles are more fluid than the proclamation lays out. He's like, you don't have, these roles aren't just just done by performed by the men and this role isn't just performed by the woman you guys can share responsibilities and i love that that's like very equal partnership and and it's yeah very so progressive for uh, is, a talk yeah. in general conference yeah, very progressive okay so is it if it's not gender roles because we've established that that's not it doesn't matter and that was a very recent talk is it procreation then we declare, so the Family Proclamation says, we declare the means by which mortal life is created to be divinely appointed. We affirm the sanctity of life and its importance in God's eternal plan. We declare that God's commandment for his children to multiply and replenish the earth remains in force. First of all, I disagree that the commandment to multiply and replenish the earth means just having children. Like, obviously, multiply does, but replenish the earth? What does that mean? Like, it wasn't ever filled completely with children, so how does replenish... Yeah, and you, I feel like you talked about this before because you're well, it bothers me. I bo it bothered me when I was in the church because I believe that the church needs to be taken care of. Replenish the earth means to me take what you need and then replenish it, put it back, plant trees after you've cut them down, mm -hmm. to harvest seeds and then plant more, like hunt the animals and then allow them to come back. Like that's replenishing the earth. Multiply and replenish the earth. They say as if like the all it means is to fill it with babies. That's yeah. not what replenish the earth should mean at all. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, that was a rant. <laughs> Good rant. Okay, uh, do you want to read this? The means by which mortal life is created. It seems a no-brainer when one is asked, what are the means by which mortal life is created? But in this day and age, however, there are many answers. Couples who struggle to become pregnant use medications, in vitro fertilization, surrogacy, artificial insemination, and often adoption as a way to build their family. Science is advancing in such a way that same-gender couples could eventually conceive children without the need of the opposite gender. So I should link this in here, but there is a there was a new there was a video, a news, there was a how do I say that news story where the scientists did the study on mice and they were able to create um, babies, they were able to have a mice have mouse have babies because they turned an egg into a sperm. So they, does that make sense? So they, a mouse so had babies without the, without the use of a, of a male, of a male. without yeah. any, any part of the male. So, um, I don't know that they're going to, I hope that they will progress this science. Um, I guess they can only do what, where the, where the money goes. Um, but anyway, but yeah, it, the science is coming out where we won't need, men won't need women when, Men, gay couples will not need an, an egg to have children and lesbian couples will not need a sperm to have children. So, and so also then what is the problem? If we can still have children, then procreation is still possible. Right. But also that still doesn't invalidate artificial insemination, adoption, in vitro, and all these uh, surrogacy, all these things that already exist that science doesn't have to uh, interfere with or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like also if God, like if God is the know all, if he knows everything, um, omniscient, omnipotent, mm -hmm. Like he would know all this, right? And also, how is science better at making babies than God? Yeah, I would think that that God would be the perfect scientist. Yeah. One thing they did find is that the babies that the that the mice had were all female. This sounds like yeah. a perfect solution to me. But if children are brought into the world through non-traditional means, are those means not also divinely appointed? I have a friend who she has five adopted children, 
and they're all sealed to her in the temple and their family has not been discriminated against. They're totally fine that they'll be with them in the eternities, according to Mormon doctrine. Like, so that is, this family is not any less valid than a family who, who the husband and wife birthed those children themselves. Is the sanctity of those conceptions less important in God's eternal plan? No. Are their families less valid? No. And to add to this, are families less valid because they don't have any children in them? That's a good point, too. Like, if a husband and wife cannot conceive children... I, I wish they would speak to that more. I wish that they would they would say that to women. Oh, if you, like, you can just be a husband and wife. Well, I mean, I'm hoping that they would say you can just be married. Like, like that you're valid regardless. Like... Yeah, you. There's a lot of ways that you can be involved in children's lives, and you can be involved in the community. Or yeah, or but just also like yeah. no, you don't have to serve others in order to be valid as a human being. You are just valid and loved by God, love regardless. Mm -hmm. Like serving your community makes you feel better and makes you feel more connected. Also, you're wonderful, and we love you, and we love you unconditionally. That's yeah. what I. That's I my that. religion right there. Somebody somebody compared it to when when you have a newborn baby that has done nothing to improve the world or anything like that. It's just, it just exists. Like that's super valid and super worthwhile. Like, mm -hmm. and you, you love are worth and adore something that, just because you exist. You love and adore that baby, regardless of whether or not they can help you wash the dishes. Right. So why is that not true of all human beings? Yeah. Okay. So president Oaks in 1984, he said, one generation of homosexual marriages would depopulate a nation and if sufficiently widespread would extinguish its people. Our marriage law should not abet national suicide. First of all, this would never happen. This is a non-issue. 5% of the world identify as, as homosexual or lesbian or whatever. It, it, first of all, so that's a non-issue. The world would never be depopulated. Like the, the people would never be distinguished, extinguished. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's silly that he said that. Like this smacks of someone who is in the closet and thinks that everybody wants to be gay. No comments. <laughs> we will not um, force anybody out of the closet, but we come anyway, knocking. It's false. Whatever. Yeah. But also, again, um, gay couples can have children and do have children. Like that's not. She has a child. She birthed all by herself. So. And I wasn't going to have a child regardless. So really nothing was lost in this. No, you can't have children. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to read this one? Birth control in 1916. Joseph F. Smith taught those who prevent their offspring from coming into this world are guilty of one of the most heinous crimes. Wow. There is no promise of eternal salvation and exaltation for such as they. Them are, wow. fight. Them are fighting words. So if you take birth control... It is a heinous crime and you are not promised salvation or exaltation. Wow. That doesn't really line up with Joseph Smith's um, having a, his own personal abortionist. <laughs> but that's not here today. That's off topic. Okay. So regarding birth control in 1917, it was like the next year, right? Mm -hmm. I regret, I think it is a crying evil that there should exist a sentiment or a feeling among any members of the church to curtail the birth of their children. I think it is a crime wherever it occurs, where husband and wife are in possession of health and vigor and are free from impurities. First of all, what? That would... That would that would be entailed upon their posterity. I believe that where people undertake to curtail or prevent the birth of their children, that they are going to reap disappointment by and by. I have no hesitancy in saying that I believe 
this is one of the greatest crimes of the world today, this evil practice of not having as many babies as your wife can possibly Seriously, have though, but like she dies. So my ex-husband, her, his mother planned their children. And I'm sure this happens to other people. It just didn't happen to my mom, but it happened with his. She planned her children on very specifically. She's like, one, I will have one kid, get them out of diapers, and then I will have another kid. So like three years, she spaced them out. And she didn't have she didn't have as many as she could. She only had um, five. So she had five kids. And like, so hang on, when it says they are going to reap disappointment. No, I think that was really good for her mental health. She did not reap disappointment because of this choice. Whereas like, a different um, example is my grandmother who had as many babies as she could physically have. Um, she gave birth to 12 babies. One of them uh, died um, very, very soon after his birth. And she eventually developed a mental disability. Um, and I don't know whether or not it wasn't spurred by the stress of trying to take care yeah. of that many children. And my, my mother was the oldest of those. And she eventually became like a mother figure to the bottom half of all those children because her mother could no longer take care of them. So who is going to reap disappointment in the by and by? I don't think Joseph F. Smith consulted any women when he came up with this opinion. Like, you're going to read disappointment. No, the F I'm not. No I'm going to space not. my kids out however I want. Also, children who have more attention and affection from their parents are happier and more well, like, yeah. um, they have better self-esteem. They're more balanced. They know how to regulate. And yeah. Children who don't have attention from their parents because there's so many of them and the parent, like, especially in this day and age where both parents have to go to work for 40 hours a week, yeah. like you don't have time to spend uh, with that many children. You just mm -hmm. don't. And it's better if you have fewer so you can connect with them and help them. Yeah. So birth control in 1959 in the gospel, in gospel doctrine, his booklet, Joseph Smith quotes Joseph Fielding Smith from 1917. So you have, you have two prophets reiterating each other. He says, Oh, he's just saying the same thing. He's just saying it's a crying he's evil. He's just repeating it. It's, it's a crime. They're going to reap disappointment. So this was a this was this was carried on not only for the the, the early 1900s but through the later 1900s as well. So still, and these are when our parents were were being raised. And my mom the, was the mindset my, of the of oldest yeah. of those 12 children was born in 1959. Right. So, um, so again, in general conference, President Joseph Fielding Smith taught those who willfully and maliciously designed to break this important commandment of having children shall be damned. Wow. Small families are the rule today. If we refuse to live by the covenants we make, then we cannot receive the blessings of those covenants in eternity. I wonder how small families actually were in 1965. I, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, do you want to read this one? Additionally, President Joseph Fielding Smith taught that certain spirit children are assigned to us. How will a young married couple feel when they come to the judgment and then discover that there were certain spirits assigned to them and they have refused to have them? Moreover, what will be their punishment when they discover that they have failed to keep a solemn covenant and spirits awaiting this mortal life were forced to come here elsewhere when they were assigned to this particular couple? Sorry, this is ridiculous. Yeah, so you 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 were assigned to have 20 children, 12 children, and you only had four. So all those children that you didn't have, they went to another couple that was not a member of the church and they and they did not receive exaltation. So it's your fault. And then the next life, they're going to come up to you and be like, you were supposed to be my parents, but instead I had to be with this other couple who I only barely liked. I would have loved you better. I don't know. What, that's really that's, sad. Yeah, that's, that's a really, yeah. And also how manipulative and what kind of pressure you're putting on these women. Like, oh yeah, there's babies I've been having, like waiting for me to give birth to them. I just got to make room. So that, I just got to make room. So that exact thing was my mother's mindset. Mm -hmm. So she gave birth 10 times. I have eight siblings, but that's complicated. But 
Anyway, yeah, she reiterated that all the time. Oh, yeah, there's spirits in heaven that need to need a good home in, in the church. And I don't want to make commentary on your family life, but do you think that this was the best possible situation for all of those 10 oh, no. babies? Like, I don't regret my siblings, to. but this was really hard for all of us. It was really, really rough. It's not the right, it's not the right choice for everyone. There are many large families that I think they've done very well. Oh yeah. I've seen, I've seen it be really successful, it's but I've seen it not really the right hard. choice for everyone. Yeah. And it should be up to them. The it parents. should not be pushed on. You can, you should have as many children as you and your spouse personally want. Mm -hmm. Not by, not based on what the church leader is telling you to have. Exactly. So do you want to read this? As a note, this is from 2022. So this is what's currently year. on the church's website. Uh, sexual relations within marriage are not only for the purpose of procreation, but also a means of expressing love. This is new. Is. <laughs> and strengthening emotional and spiritual ties between husband and wife. Decisions about birth control and the consequences of those decisions rest solely with each married couple. This is the way it should be. Good job. Yeah. Good so, job. Round of applause. So the old the, the old doctrines were that if you have birth control, you you'll be damned. You, you won't receive exaltation or eternal salvation. But now they're saying, oh, it's just between you and your spouse. Like, okay, that's a huge difference. Like, Yeah. Like, mm. And then I also wanted to point out um, that sexual relations within a marriage, like if she and I are married, it is not just for procreation, but also a means of expressing love and strengthening emotional and spiritual ties between husband and wife, wife and wife, or husband and husband. So they're recognizing that it's not just about making babies, guys. It's for expressing love. And I want to point out also, and I don't have a slide for this, but President Oaks, who's the top Mormon leader, he, um, his first wife passed away and he married someone else who was well out of her childbearing years. But he married her, I think, so that he can continue expressing that love physically to, to and, another and person. And have a companion and have someone to cook exactly, for Exactly, all this stuff. Like, so you his need... marriage with her has nothing to do with having babies. Just like maybe she's, her and mine, America's and mine, have nothing to do with having babies. It's just because we want... We want somebody to be with. We want this commitment. Whatever you just said, all the, the things uh, we listed uh -huh. off. Companion and somebody to cook for you. So Oaks is recognizing that that there are unions, that there are relationships that are still valid and totally fine that have nothing to do with the children. And thank you for noticing. I mean, I guess you could say, oh, he can have children with her in the next life. Because in Mormonism, you and we're become... Get talking to a polygamy. Right. You, you advance. In Mormonism, you advance your priesthood or you advance in general by having more wives and more children. So... Maybe that's where he's coming from, but anyway. Okay, so another thing I want to point out is this uh, Joseph F. Smith or Joseph Fielding Smith, I can't remember, but he's like, small families are the rule for today. And I just want to list off, um, President Ballard just recently passed away, so they haven't replaced him yet. But this, this is the amount of children that they have. So President Nelson has 10 children. Wow. So Pre he's living up to his... He, he is, yeah. Uh, yes. President Oaks has six. President Iron has six. And then President Ballard, he has five. Holland has three, Uchtdorf has two, Bednar has three, Renlund has one, Rasband has five, Soares has three, Anderson has four, Christofferson five, Gong four, Cook three, Stevenson four. So I think if you find the average or the, is it the mean? Mm. Um, it's, I think it's four. The average amount of children, if you um, do the math, it's four. Mm -mm. That to me was, growing up, I was taught that that was a very small family. Mm. It's half the size of yours. Yeah, well, I mean, like, well, yeah, my parents got divorced and my dad remarried. And so there was 14 kids. So, so really it's more like a third. Yeah. But we don't get into that. Okay. 
Um, do you want to read this one? So, um, according to one study, married same-sex couples show higher rates of child child rearing. The study also shows that same-sex couples are seven times more likely than different sex couples to be raising an adopted or foster child. So, if LGBTQ individuals are still rearing children, where's the problem? Yeah, so they're still having kids. That's because it's an innate desire to have children. Yeah, whether you're male or female, like, and it's totally fine if you don't want to have children. That's totally fine. But there are there are couples that are having children. So this is a figure from I think from the same article study. Um, so figure two shows the percent of couples. So this is saying so um, the light blue is all same sex couples. If you're if you're just listening to this, it won't really make sense. But there's a there's two different charts, and the, so the all um, same sex couples are 21 percent. And then the um, heterosexual couples are, are 3% for raising an adopted child. And so then 21% of, of, of all same-sex couples are raising an adopted child. Mm-hmm. And 3% of all yes, so, so it's male a female huge, couples so if are you're, raising an adopted child. So way more gay couples are raising adopted children than are heterosexual couples. And then for fostering, it's 2.9% of uh, all same-sex couples are raising a foster child. And... 0.4% mm-hmm. of male female couples are raising a foster child. So they are doing, in my opinion, this is showing that that same-sex couples are doing a, a lot to help these communities, to help these children who need to be adopted and these children who need to be fostered. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they are helping in so many ways with children. And speaking as a, I, I was for a time a foster parent and there is a lot of children in the foster system that need homes. There's a lot of children that are, how do I say this? We don't need to be bringing more children into the world. And this is, this has, I'm going to veer off into the topic of abortion, but putting more children into this system that is already overburdened with children that don't have parents, not smart. However, taking these children into your home by fostering them, by raising them, adopting them, that's a good thing. And more LGBTQ parents are doing this than straight parents. Mm -hmm. So they are helping. They are helping the community. And it wasn't that long ago that gay parents weren't even allowed to foster or adopt. That's awful. Okay. So another thing that I want to talk about is in the family proclamation, it further states that we warn that, that we warn that the disintegration of the family will bring upon individuals, communities, and nations, the calamities foretold by ancient and modern prophets. That was a good voice. Um, so what calamities have been foretold due to the change in the nuclear family? Um, can someone please point me to a scripture, like maybe in the Old Testament, New Testament, like or Book of Mormon? Where does it say this? Also, Jesus never once spoke against same-gender relationships, and the Book of Mormon likewise speaks nothing about it. So like the keystone of the Mormon religion is silent on this matter. If such a catastrophic and devastating thing could happen because of the disintegration of the family, why is the foundation of our religion, and so Jesus, and the keystone of the Mormon religion, the Book of Mormon, utterly silent on the topic of same-gender, same-sex marriages. Yeah. Why? Is this the end-all, be-all um, catastrophe of all time, but, but Jesus never that. talked about yeah. it? He was like, hmm. The ultimate prophet. you on that. The prophet of all prophets didn't say anything about calamities foretold because of... Um, Did Joseph Smith talk about it either? No. In fact, actually, this is off, kind of off-topic, but the first case in Mormonism for heterosexual relationships was with John C. Bennett. He, he was Joseph's right-hand man. And Joseph was even saying, um, he, Joseph was even reiterating, and this is backed up by Bible scholars, but that Sodom, that Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of homosexuality. He was just like, that's not a thing. 
Joseph was of the opinion that they were destroyed because they didn't listen to the prophets. Um, but biblically, you'll see in the Bible in Ezekiel that they were destroyed because they weren't being good hosts. Like so, being good neighbors or parts of the community, right. like they were um, so had, abusing people that came to stay with them. Right. It has nothing to do with homosexual relationships, mm -hmm. like same sex committed relationships. That's not what this is about. Anyway, so Joseph being Joseph pointing that out made me think that maybe he's a little bit more um, soft hearted or yeah. lenient towards that. But, but yeah. So anyway, if, if anything, you could say that Joseph was um, had very different ideas than the overall Christianity today. I don't know how to say that, but at the Christian alt-right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So conclusion. Okay. So in 2010, Elder Packer gave a talk and the video version said this, but then the text version that these are both on the church's website. You can just click on the video and it will say what we're about to say. And if you read it, it'll say they have changed the wording. So the original wording was this. Fifteen years ago, with the world in turmoil, the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles issued the Family, a proclamation to the world, the fifth proclamation in the history of the Church. It qualifies according to the definition as a revelation and would do well that the members of the Church to read and follow. But if you look at the text version, it says, Fifteen years ago, with the world in turmoil, the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles issued the Family, a proclamation to the world, the fifth proclamation in the history of the Church. It is a guide that members of the church would do well to read and follow. Okay, so the for some weird reason, I don't understand why, because the church tries to pull it off like the proclamation is a revelation. So why are they, why, why, why are they going from it is a revelation to it is a guide? Is it because it's not a revelation? That's all I, that's the only thing I can, I can think of is that they're like, oh, it's not actually a revelation. And maybe it has to do with what, with this, this is our final slide. And this is Oaks, this is Elder Oaks, and he's talking about, this is 2017, he's talking about how the family proclamation was created. The inspiration identifying the need for a proclamation on the family came to the leadership of the church over 23 years ago. It was a surprise to some who thought the doctrinal truths about marriage and the family were well understood without restatement. Nevertheless, we felt the confirmation and we went to work. Subjects were identified and discussed by members of the Quorum of the Twelve for nearly a year. Language was proposed, reviewed, reviewed, and revised. Prayerfully, we continued pleading with the Lord for his inspiration on what we should say and how we should say it. We all learned line upon line, precept upon precept, as the Lord has promised. During this revelatory process, a proposed text was presented to the First Presidency, who oversee and promulgate church teachings and doctrine. After the Presidency made further changes, the proclamation on the family was announced by the President of the Church, Gordon B. Hinckley, in the women's meeting of September 23rd, 1995, he introduced the proclamation. So what I'm getting is they're like, oh, we really need to um, have a, we need to list off the doctrinal truths about marriage and the family. And people think that they're well understood, but they're not. And we've just covered the reason why they're not well understood is because they have not been consistent. Um, so they're trying to get this in. So they said subjects were identified and discussed by members of the Quorum of the Twelve. So you've got the Twelve and they're all talking about this stuff. And it says, without saying who is saying this, language was proposed, reviewed, and revised. By who? My thoughts are because, this, because of the Barry versus Lewin case, this, these are people from Curtin and McConkie, the church's law firm. That's what I'm thinking because they don't say the 12 ha had this language. The 12 proposed these things and reviewed and revised. It's just this was happening. So subjects were identified. So anyway, so the 12, it sounds like the 12 are getting together with Curtin and McConkie lawyers and they're coming with all the stuff. 
they plead for the Lord. They're like, oh, please, we need to, we need to stop same-sex marriage. And then it says, he's calling this a revelatory process. And then it says the text was presented to the first presidency. So the 12 and the lawyers presented to the top three. And then who oversee? Okay, so then the presidency makes a few changes. They tweak it a little bit. And then the, if it, it's announced by President Gordon Hinckley, which to me, this is like a bottom, bottom up kind of thing. I was taught that the prophet is the, the mouthpiece for God. I was taught God speaks to the prophet. The prophet, it goes up what up to down like it's <laughs> a trickle down top to bottom what trickle what down economics so so this is actually the revelatory process the the 12 get together with lawyers and they present it to the presidency and then the, they make a little bit of changes and then the prophet announces it, it sounds all very legal and like a. a like it sounds a, like not from god it sounds like it's case, from lawyers can we propose some changes and you can you guys can discuss it and change actually if you think about it announce it in the next release society so at the be very beginning of the church, they would the leaders would announce something and the members would vote on it. They're like, "Oh, jo the prophet Joseph wants um, tithing. He no, it no, was he, wants, a, he wants a salary. He wants to be mm -hmm. paid." And they're like, "No, we're not doing that." That's so they're like, "No, this is pre-scrap." So they all voted no, and it was shut down. And then, and then immediately after, Joseph was like, "Actually, tithing is a thing, and you guys have to do it because it's in the scriptures." And so they had no choice. But anyway, they used to give members a choice, and some of the some of the LDS factions still do give the membership choice. So it is sort of a bottom-up revelatory process. But anyway, this is not how I was taught. The revelation comes into fruition. Yeah, I thought we were all led by God, not by Curtin, twelve like men <laughs> and Curtin and McConkie. Yeah, like what the heck? Yeah. Anyway, so that's the end of our presentation. Um, this is the history. Hopefully, you understand it a little bit better of the Family Proclamation and why it came to be. It was just to combat same-sex marriage in Hawaii, and throughout and to keep members in line who disagree with with same-sex marriages yeah any final words yes um family proclamation is bullcrap and you guys should all take it off your walls and i really really wish um for even though even if people who are active members of the church if you can consider this is what i a lot of these things that we are presented are just evidence it is evidence it is a science that intersex people exist that the genitalia between men and women are very very similar and that homosexual parents are just as healthy, if not healthier, than heterosexual parents. So there's nothing wrong with lesbian couples or gay couples or anything like that. So like, not inherently. I mean, no. there's lots of well, wrong. yeah. I mean, I am really bad at. Hold on, I'm thinking of something. I don't know any. Um, I am really bad at making my bed in the morning, but that has nothing to do. With my sexuality. So. Uh, okay. Anyway, um, thank you guys for joining us. Um, if you want to support us, I'm going to leave links below the video and hopefully you'll be able to watch everything else that we're linking. But if you want to support us, you can follow us on Patreon. If you go to the top, some of the top tiers, we'll send you the top free books. tier includes free books. So, and the free, uh, there'll be um, LDS history books that we are taking. And we're in the process of publishing more. We want to do John C. Bennett and John D. Lee's in the works. John D. Lee's in the works. He's next up. I'm going to get him done here soon. Yeah. Um, or if you just want to um, subscribe on, on YouTube and just follow this channel, that'd be really helpful. Yep. If you want to mm -hmm. view us, view, I am also on TikTok, Instagram. Well, that's about it. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, yep. so if you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear your questions and comments. We don't like criticism nearly as much, no, but I think we you will mean, take it. I think you mean like because I like criticism. If somebody says, hey, I, I disagree with you 
on this topic, that's totally fine. What I don't like is when like the ad hominem stuff, like, oh, you you just suck because you suck, or like, oh, you have crazy you're eyes. Blonde. You, you're yeah, anyway, don't do that. We're not gonna no, engage we don't in that. Appreciate that. Yeah. But it's not nice. But constructive criticism is always welcome. So yeah. Anyway, um, hope you guys learned some things and um hope you guys have a great day. Yep. Well, yeah. thanks for watching. Bye guys. Bye.